Welcome to the Only Child Diaries podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Wallace. Have you ever felt like you didn't receive the how-to brochure on life? That you didn't get enough guidance about major life issues? So did I. You don't have to be an only child to feel this way. In my podcast, we'll explore some of the best ways to better navigate adulting while doing so with humor and light. Welcome, everyone, to the Only Child Diaries podcast. Today, I'm jumping on the Megan and Harry bandwagon. <laughs> Maybe that's not the right word. The Megan and Harry royal carriage. Is that better? The royal entourage. Well, I'll stop there. I was a big fan of Lady Diana Spencer since the time she was being followed before the engagement. Oh gosh, I just adored her. Absolutely adored her. As we watched her get married and then have her boys, she grew into a wonderful, charming woman. She grew into a special soul who attracted the love and admiration of so many people across the world, but not that of her husband. I was shocked when she died. I mourned when she died, like she was a close personal friend, and I felt for her boys. So is it any wonder that I've had a soft spot in my heart for William and Harry all these years? Still, it became obvious early on when Diana and Charles were having trouble in their marriage, that the royal family was not quite the warmest group of people on this earth. Now, here's a subject I'm super familiar with. People who are distant and cold. Cold? Shall we say chilly? Well, definitely not warm. <laughs> I can also relate to going against what is expected of you. I've been working on getting my husband up to speed on the royals. He hasn't always been as ardent a fan of Diana and all things royal as me. But we've watched The Crown, which isn't all factual, of course. We realize that. And we've done our own investigation and research to find out what is true and what is not. We watched the Oprah interview. We watched the Netflix series about Meghan and Harry. And then my husband and I have seen Harry's interviews about his new book, Spare. And we've watched and read all kinds of accounts of what's been going on over there across the pond. And we are unashamedly team Meghan and Harry. Love me or hate me for that, but that's where we stand on this issue. Now, you might say to yourself, what does she have to do with this, and why should I even continue to listen to this episode? Well, first of all, no, I'm not seen as a royal expert in the media, but I am English on my father's side. And I did have some ancestors come from England, so I feel like I'm part of the discussion. I've also been part of a dysfunctional family. And the royal family is definitely a dysfunctional family. But 
then every family has some issues, right? And in case you aren't one of the millions of people who have been following all this, I'll unpack some of it today. And if you have been following it, then let's see how much you and I agree. I've also been listening to some other podcasts talking about the royals and Harry in general, and I've heard all sorts of opinions. Depending on your frame of reference, your experience, and your biases, you're going to have your own opinion, and that's cool. So let's get started. First of all, there's the limited series on Netflix, Meghan and Harry. This was six episodes that the couple basically produced and created to tell their story of how they met, their courtship, their marriage, and the beginning of their married life. Along the way, they detail some of what they see as the misconceptions that people and the media are intent on spreading about them. It would be interesting and somewhat frustrating to have people who have never met you write whole books about you and never even have the chance to meet you, let alone have a short chat with you. How many things would they really get correct? Now, I will say, first off, I've always loved Prince William. And then Princess Kate came along, although I never really warmed up to Princess Kate. I think they make a nice couple, and I'm happy that they seem to have a solid family unit now with the three kids. I am seriously concerned when I see how thin Kate is. Does she ever eat? She looks thinner now than when they first met. What's all that about? If she turned to the side, would she even cast a shadow? I will also say that I never got over the fact that Camilla was the other woman. And maybe if she was better looking, it would be easier to understand and accept. Or maybe if she just seemed nicer. But she always looks terrible, and she hasn't aged well. Charles, on the other hand, doesn't seem to have aged well either. I get that they love each other, whatever, but given the fact that no one in the family was ever able to hold a position and be divorced, it's sad that they were given a pass. Now, I mean, it's not sad, really, it's with the times, but it just seems like a double standard, too. Since they've harped on Megan being divorced, just saying. It's just sad to me that if Charles really loved Camilla all the time, he shouldn't have been forced to marry Diana and ruin her life as well. And whatever happened to Camilla's husband? I guess they don't get along, but it seems like he was just another throwaway relationship in a long line of royal castoffs. Poor fellow. Back to the Netflix series. We get to hear how Meghan and Harry met and how attracted they were to each other right from the beginning. How they felt comfortable with each other right from the beginning. 
I think they were really sweet. And I can relate because that's how my husband and I started out. I won't speak for him here, but I knew right away he was going to be significant in my life. So I can see that the reality between Megan and Harry is really true. We learn more about how Harry felt growing up and Megan's childhood and life leading up to meeting Harry. Then we follow them through the engagement and wedding process. Thinking about their wedding, there was so much controversy about Megan's dad, especially. I can understand that because weddings are about family, and family that is dysfunctional is going to create issues. Weddings, just in general, are usually so tough with so much emotional times and stress to make everything right. Throw in the fact that you are in the public eye and being scrutinized like crazy, it's no wonder there were some crazy issues that came out of it. Then the last three episodes chronicle the process of them going through the rough patches with the negative comments towards Megan. Then their decision to leave their royal duties behind and their life on the outside, as it were. One of the defining moments for me is Megan talking about a tweet, quote, Megan just needs to die. Someone needs to kill her. Maybe it should be me, unquote. The culmination of months of hateful comments and slanderous tabloid articles. Knowing this and realizing that this was the reality of the situation, it's hard to imagine that the Windsor's beloved, I mean, he was beloved, right? Harry and his wife were basically left to their own devices, but also left without any security whatsoever. How could that be? This part just really baffles me. Was it because they just didn't care anymore? Was it because they hated Meghan so much they were willing to sacrifice Harry's safety as well? Was it because she's biracial? Was it because Harry was not only the spare, but also Diana's son and therefore not as worthy? It's hard for me to understand, given the fact that Queen Elizabeth was still around and obviously knew what was going on. I think she cared about her grandson, right? They also addressed the interview with Oprah. The two big topics that came out of that interview were racism and depression. Both important topics and both usually so volatile, although for separate reasons. Both are topics that seem unimportant if you haven't dealt with them, mostly. People who haven't experienced depression sometimes have a difficult time understanding what the big deal is. And the same can be true for racism. I'm oversimplifying, of course. But if you haven't experienced either of these things or haven't seen either of them firsthand, then you might not have the empathy to understand the real challenges and frustrations each provides. And it's easy for others to pass both of them off as complaining sometimes, especially if they don't like or respect the person making the claims. Both of these subjects are incredibly important discussions. 
and challenging things to discuss. I get it. And I applaud them for tackling both subjects. At this point, I'm about 20% into the book. I mean, it's 400 pages. I thought it was going to be a little shorter. It's slow going for me because I always have so many other things going on, and I also want to savor it. One thing that came up in the interviews Harry did to promote the book was the idea that he and his brother both felt that maybe their mother really wasn't dead, that she was hiding, hiding from the press, hiding from everyone, and waiting until everything calmed down so she could make herself known and live her life again quietly. What a fascinating idea, and how creative of a way for a young boy to deal with the unexpected and tragic death of his mother. And how sad, too, that this is what he came up with to deal with it. There's also a lot of discussion about the involvement of the press and the paparazzi. The paparazzi certainly had a hand in Princess Diana's death, I believe, and it seems they constantly hound members of the royal family. They are also relentless in pursuing Meghan and Harry after they left England. In addition, it would appear that there is not a straight reporting of events, but manipulation of the press, with the intent to put certain members of the royal family in a better light than others. Through all this, my question would be, how could anyone question or object to how Harry feels given the way his mother died? Hounded by the press, constantly and seemingly killed in a tragic car accident that ended her life being pursued by the press. Watching the same thing starting to happen to his wife, the woman he loves, how can anyone object to how they pulled back from royal life? He's doing it to save his wife, and thus his life, and not repeat history. Now. You can say that you're tired of hearing about Prince Harry and all his angst, but it's a fact that his book, Spare, is one of the best-selling memoirs of all time, selling 3.2 million copies in the first week. Now, granted, that's a lot, and it may set a record for nonfiction, but Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows sold 10 million copies in the first 24 hours. So, yeah, Prince Harry can't beat out Harry Potter. Kind of funny that they are both Harrys. But the prince has made a good run at it. And it proves that even if people are complaining about him, they still want to read the intimate details. And so far, what I've read, the details are pretty intimate. Not cringeworthy to me, necessarily, but more than I would think the royal family would want to be known. And then there are the interviews. Harry did 60 Minutes, Good Morning America, and Stephen Colbert. They all basically said some of the same things, talked about the same stories he reveals in the book. I think the one interview that was the most casual and appealed to me the most was the one with Stephen Colbert. Harry seems more relaxed and at ease talking about his life, 
and Colbert touched on the loss and the grief issue more closely than the others. Certainly, Anderson Cooper on 60 Minutes has experienced grief and loss, and in fact, I discussed this in my episode, Death Can Be a Telling Tale. I talked about his podcast, All There Is, and how he approached and dealt with grief, but also how other people did too, including Stephen Colbert. Everything is so related to each other in this world. A lot of people probably feel that Harry is royal and Meghan now is by marriage, and they should just buck up and shut up and carry on with business. But I think there comes a time in some people's lives when you have to go against tradition and hold on to what is important in your life. I applaud Harry for standing up for himself, standing up for his wife, and taking control of the lives they have. It's not easy to speak up against people like the royal family, but it seems there is so much dysfunction in the family, going back to Diana asking for help, help dealing with the press, help keeping her marriage intact, help with depression, but none was given. Megan says she asked for help too, but none was given. It seemed like the only way to succeed in the family was to be exactly like the other people in the family. Put a smile on your face, don't make waves, and just get on with it. Whatever it is. I think one of the differences so far with Meghan and Harry is that they seem to be really in love. Charles and Diana seemed to like each other, but As we know now, Diana was infatuated with Charles, but he didn't really have true feelings for her. He was in love with Camilla. Megan and Harry have settled here in California. We have a tendency here to welcome and accept people of all groups, races, etc., regardless of past history and performances. California forgives. And I like to think if Diana was still alive, she would have settled here as well. That's all I've got for today. Next week, I'm going to talk about some of my surgery adventures. (laughs) It looks like I'm going to have to have some work done on at least one of my knees. And it started me thinking about my surgery misadventures. (laughs) Well, I hope you'll join me. If you like this episode, please follow the Only Child Diaries podcast on Apple Podcasts or other platforms you might listen on. And consider rating Only Child Diaries and writing a review. It helps others to find us. Please share it with a friend you think might like it as well. Visit my Instagram page, Only Child Diaries, or Facebook, Only Child Diaries Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Tracy Wallace, and these are The Only Child Diaries.